Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. There are a few sports that I enjoy more than fishing. If you know me, you know that I can get awfully fanatical about it. You know, there's just something about being out there and being under the, the clear sky and in early morning watching the sun come up, being by the water, by yourself sometimes or with a friend, that I thoroughly enjoy. In fact, I can't remember a time that I haven't fished. In all honesty, I began and learned when I was four or five years old, and I can just always remember going fishing with my father and learning and fishing myself. There's some things that I've learned, though, from fishing. And one of the things that I've observed, I want to share with you this morning. One of the things I've observed as I've fished in many places and have seen many fishermen is that it's always a few of the people who catch most of the fish. I don't know if you fishermen agree with that, but I've found that to be true. A few of the people catch most of the fish. In fact, it's just not my observation. I think I read somewhere that it's 10% of the fishermen that catch 90% of the fish. Now, I won't tell you which group I'm in because you'll just accuse me of telling a fish story. But that seems to be true. When we come to a different realm, the realm of spiritual things, I think I've observed about the same thing. I think I've observed that when it comes to something like evangelism, winning people to Christ, that it's a few of the people who are winning most of the people to Christ. Now, that's my observation. You may agree or disagree. But my observation is backed up by a survey that was taken not long ago, a survey that was taken of everybody who calls themselves Christian. So that's a broad category, I realize. But the survey said that it takes 1,000 laymen and six pastors to lead one person to Jesus Christ. 1,000 laymen and six pastors to lead one person to Jesus Christ. Now, I said it was a broad survey of a broad category of people that call themselves Christians. If we narrowed it down to a Bible church type of survey, I wonder what we would come up with. Well, that's speculation because I don't know if anybody's done a survey like that. But isn't that amazing that it would take so many people to lead one person to Jesus Christ? I mean, we have evangelistic crusades. We have evangelistic rallies. We have evangelistic seminars. We have evangelistic breakfasts, evangelistic lunches, evangelistic dinners, evangelistic pool parties, evangelistic pizza parties. But when all is said and done, when all the dust settles and clears, the fact remains that we're winning very few people to Jesus Christ. We're winning very few people to our Savior. Someone has said that the church should be like a maternity ward, that there should always be the cry of newborn Christians. But frankly, it just seems that that cry is heard far and few. There's far and few between that cry in this church and in other churches. We're winning very few people to Jesus Christ. 
That has been my situation in my own personal life. A couple years after I became a Christian, I wanted to learn how to lead an evangelistic Bible study. And I would attend all kinds of seminars and so forth because my church really wasn't doing a good job of feeding me. And I attended a Christian education convention one weekend. And as I attended, I noticed that on the program they had a workshop scheduled about an evangelistic Bible study. So I attended that workshop. And as the fellow got up there and began to teach, I suddenly realized that he was not telling me how to have an evangelistic Bible study, but he was telling me what this new kind of evangelistic Bible study was. Well, I didn't know, want to know what it was. I wanted to know how to do it. So I turned off my tape player. I kind of sat back a little disappointed and waited for the class to end. At the end of the class, right before he dismissed us all, this fellow, his name was Clem, still is as far as I know, he told everybody before they left, he said, I have been praying that God will give me two disciples to study with me in a discipleship class. Well, I, must, I might not have heard much he said in the first hour, but I heard him say that, and I knew that I was one of them. So I stayed after class to talk with him about that. And we talked for a while, and I started to ask him questions, but he interrupted me, and he asked me a question. He said, Charlie, have you ever led someone to Jesus Christ? And I kind of thought for a while. And I said, well, I've witnessed to a lot of my friends. I've told a lot of friends about Christ and what he's done for me. He said, no, that's not what I mean. Have you ever actually led somebody to faith in Jesus Christ? And you know, it almost surprised me to hear myself say, no, I haven't. And so Clem invited me to come to this discipleship group, meet with them once a week in the morning for a period of weeks to study principles of growth and principles of witnessing. And I accepted his invitation and I met with them every morning for breakfast for many, many weeks and for many, many years, in fact, we continued our study. He started a church, became the pastor, and I worked with him in the youth. And I can say that today, by the grace of God, that started me on the road to leading people to Jesus Christ. Now that same invitation that Clem gave to me, that invitation is very similar to the one that Jesus Christ gave to those people 2,000 years ago by the Sea of Galilee. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus Christ meeting Simon, Peter that is, Andrew, James, and John, and saying to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, we need to see where this comes in the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's at the very beginning of his ministry. He had just gone through a temptation with Satan, and he had proved himself to be the king by his moral qualifications because Satan couldn't get him to sin. He proved himself to be king. What is the first sermon that Jesus preached? It's in verse 17. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. From the outset of his ministry, Jesus Christ is calling people in an evangelistic message to faith in himself. And so it only makes sense that the very next thing he would do is recruit or invite other people to help him in the task of spreading the gospel of the kingdom.
So when we come to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He had previously been in Judea and is now back in the northern part of Israel by the Sea of Galilee. Well known for its fishing industry, the Sea of Galilee was a fertile place and had a lot of fish. And he was in staying in the town of Capernaum. Capernaum was a, a town that was a fishing town. I come from Maryland, and uh, a, a similar town would be Annapolis. And Annapolis is on the bay, and you go there, and there's docks and harbors and fishing boats all over the place and seafood shops and restaurants. And you quickly recognize that it's a seafood, uh, a sea a fishing town. There's a fishing industry there. And so he's walking by the sea. One, and I believe it's in the morning because Simon and uh, Andrew, his brother, are casting a net into the sea. Fishermen in those days would fish at night, mainly because that's when the fish were nearer to the surface. But I imagine it was a hard night and they didn't catch very much, so Peter's casting a net into the sea. The word used for net here is a, means it's a circular net with lead weights around the edge of it, the kind that, you, that they cast into the sea and it sinks down and traps the fish under it and then they pull it and it scoops them up and they can bring them in. Now one thing we should notice is that this is probably not the first time that Jesus met Peter and Andrew. Because you remember in John chapter 1 that Christ met Andrew and Andrew ran and got his brother Peter and brought Peter to Christ. And you remember his name was Simon at that time, and Jesus said, your name will no longer be Simon, it'll be Peter. So there was a time previous to this where Jesus had met Peter and Andrew. So evidently this must be at least a second time. But I take it that Peter and Andrew are already Christian. They're already believers at that first confrontation in John chapter 1. But when he sees them this time, Jesus has a different message for them. It's no longer come to me as Savior. This time, it's follow me. Jesus is calling the men to follow him. He's saying, come after me. He's calling them right where they are in the middle of their job. Here they are fishing with the last thing on their mind uh, is to go and follow someone, follow a religious leader. But Jesus comes along and says, follow me. Now you should notice that he meets them right where they are. Now, Jesus could have been in Judea, and he could have called a completely different sort of person to follow him. After all, in Judea and in Jerusalem, he could have gone up and asked the priests to follow him. He could have invited the rabbis to follow him. He could have invited the uh, Roman centurions. He could have invited the political leaders, the members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of Israel. But instead, he waits and goes up to Galilee and invites fishermen. Now, fishermen in those days, not in these days, please, were known as unlearned people. They were known as uncouth people. They were rugged. They were hard workers. They uh, were a tough breed of person, not very refined. They were almost looked down upon. But he chooses that type of person. Now, I don't know what Jesus had in mind when he was looking for people, but I kind of suspect that what he was looking for was really just a willingness to learn, a willingness to follow. He probably looked beyond all of their exterior qualifications and into their heart. So what he says to them is, follow me. Now, 
when we read this verse, what comes to your mind? You see Jesus walking along and he says, follow me. And you see a couple guys falling in line behind him, right? Kind of like when uh, Groucho Marx used to say, you know, walk this way. And, and Harpo and his friend and brother would, you know, walk that way uh, after Groucho behind him. That's not really the idea here. When Jesus said, follow me, what he was literally saying is, come behind me. Come after me. Now, to us it may not be clear, but to Peter and Andrew and the others he called, it was very clear what Jesus meant. What Jesus was saying to them was, come and follow me as my disciples. That's the way they understood it. It was the practice in those days for the rabbis to gather around them a small group of disciples. And so you would have the disciples of Shammai over here and the disciples of Hillel over here. And what they did was they didn't go to a school, but they followed a person. And if you were a master or a rabbi, a teacher, then you got a group of learners around you, a group of disciples. And what Jesus is saying, follow me as my disciples. It wasn't just that they wanted, he wanted them to walk after him. Now today, I know our system is a little different. We are looking for an education. We don't look for a person, do we? We look for a school. And we get our catalogs and spread them out in front of us. And we say, I'm going to go to this school. And we look at the pluses and advantages, disadvantages of that school. We look at its record. We look at the facilities and all that it has. And we decide to go to this school. And we sit in classes where we don't really know much more about the professor than his name. And it may be on occasion that you'll get to talk to a professor and perhaps even sometimes spend an evening at his house. But that's very rare. When we graduate, we look back and say, that's my alma mater. That's where I went to school and got my education. But you need to think like 2,000 years ago, or even like what is going on in India today. In India today, if there's a guru that is much respected, he'll get around him a group of followers. Those followers will follow their guru everywhere he goes. They'll eat when he eats. They'll sleep when he sleeps. They'll wash his dishes. They'll take care of him. They'll live with him. They'll be his disciples. Before long, they become a carbon copy of that guru. And what, is, what Jesus Christ is saying, Peter and Andrew here, is follow me as my disciples. And they understood and followed him. Now Jesus called them to follow, them, follow him for a purpose. What he said was that there's something you have to do, and then there's something that I'm going to do. He promised that if you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's what he says in verse 19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus Christ is promising to make these people into soul winners. He promises that those who follow him will be fishers of men. But something I want you to notice here about this statement, I will make you fishers of men. And the first thing is that Jesus Christ is saying, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is saying, I am the one that's going to train you. If you win men to Christ, it's going to be me 
who makes it possible. If you are not fit, I'm going to make you fit. If you don't know how to do it, I'm going to teach you. It would have been pretty hard to argue with somebody like that, wouldn't it? I mean, you could say, well, well Jesus, I've, I've never witnessed anybody. I don't know what to say. Or, Jesus, I, I get all flustered when I have to talk about my faith. I just, I get embarrassed. I can't do it. But that kind of excuse wouldn't wash with them because he says, I will make you fishers of men. It's kind of like when I went and got my first sales job. I remember calling for the, to find out about the job, and the fellow, the voice on the other end, was telling me about this job, and I found out that it was really a friend of mine that I had known a long time. And so I said, well, well look, uh, Lloyd, I, I can't sell anything. I've never sold a thing in my life. I can't even talk to people. I get all embarrassed and everything. I was voted the most bashful every year in school when I was a kid, and that's true. And um, he said, well, look, why don't you just come in and talk to me for old time's sake? I haven't seen you for a while. So I came in. And then he tried to show me that I really ought to be um, in his sales uh, group. And I started to give him my excuses. And he said, look, Charlie, you come with me, and I'll make sure you learn how to sell. I'll make sure you're a success. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I will make you, fishers of men. And he puts the burden on himself. The second thing I want you to notice about this statement is that he says, I will make you fishers of men. What Jesus is saying is that it's going to be a training process. First things first. Let's start with the basics. How do we win men to Jesus Christ? First we follow, and then there's some time in which I make you fishers of men, and then at the end you become a soul winner. Now Mark has a parallel passage to this, and Mark makes it even clearer because he adds a little word in there. Mark says, has Jesus saying, I will make you to become fishers of men, clearly emphasizing that there's a process here, that time is involved. That it's a training process with Christ as the master and us as his disciples. And finally, at the other end, we come out as soul winners. And that's how we learn almost anything. That's how I learned to fish, for example. I mean, when I learned to fish, I didn't start out in a 19-foot bass boat with a 100-horsepower Evinrude motor and bucket swivel seats. You've seen the bass boats today and these fishing programs on TV. They have depth finders. They have live tanks with aerators. And, and like the one I saw last Sunday uh, had a, a TV screen with a graph, and it shows you where the fish are underneath you, you know. I didn't start out with that. I would have been completely lost and, and chucked the whole thing. But let me tell you how I did start out at the age of four or five. I can't even remember. My father would shake me awake about five in the morning while it was still dark. He said, come on, let's go fishing. And so half awake, I would stumble and put my clothes on and wish I didn't want to go so bad and stumble downstairs and he'd have something ready to eat. And we'd go out down to the river. And I would not fish. I would just sit on the rock next to him and watch him fish. And he would pull them in. And then he would tell me how to net them, and I'd learn to net them for him. Sometimes he'd hook one, and he'd say, here, you pull this one in. I love that, and so I'd pull that one in. 
And before long, I guess I was about the age of six, he bought me a cane pole. No reel, nothing fancy on it, just a little bamboo pole, the kind that you wrap the string around the end on. And I learned to fish at a nice quiet lake for a little perch and brim and so forth. But I watched him as how he baited the hook, and he told me how to put the worm on so the hook wasn't showing, and this line's too heavy, put your bobber up higher, uh, don't use that much weight, put a little less weight on, and so forth and so on. That's how I learned to fish. It was a long process. It was slow. But I learned it from following my father, from watching him, and from being with him. Now, how did Christ teach his disciples to fish? Was he a good teacher? How did Peter do? You remember some of the lessons that Peter got through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Here he's saying, Peter, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. But we know that Peter didn't fish for men while Christ was uh, walking the earth before his death and resurrection. Peter was pretty much too busy getting in trouble and sticking his foot in his mouth. But in Acts chapter 2, what do we see Peter doing? We see that Peter's learned his lesson well and his time was well spent following Jesus Christ. For he's casting his gospel net over a large crowd of people and drawing in thousands of souls into the kingdom of heaven. It took time. It took discipleship. But Peter learned how to fish for men. That's what Jesus is promising. You follow, and you'll learn how to fish. And so the truth seems very plain here, that if we follow, we will fish for men. If we're following, we're fishing. And I think, in some sense, the converse is true also. If we're not fishing, then we're not following. If there's not people being one to Jesus Christ, we have to seriously ask ourselves if we're following Him as our Lord and Savior. He's the one that makes us fishers of men. Now you've seen the symbol of a fish that usually associates that person with a, being a Christian. We put it on it's on a storefront. We know that the owner is a Christian. We put it on our car bumpers, and we know that the driver is Christian. We put it on our books. We put it on our house. But a symbol doesn't make us a fisher of men. A seminar doesn't make us a fisher of men. Reading books and learning methods doesn't make us fishers of men. It's following Jesus Christ that makes us soul winners. Christ says, follow me. And I promise I will make you fishers of men if you just follow me. But what were their, their responses? Peter and Andrew and James and John. Christ has laid before them an invitation to follow me. He's called them to discipleship. He says, I'll make you fishers of men. What is their response? Let's look at it in verse 20. In verse 20, it says, Then they immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. 
Christ expects men to respond to his call. The response of Peter and Andrew was immediately they left their nets. Now the word nets here is a different word from the word above it. Where, G, where Peter was casting his round circular net, this says they left their nets. It's a general term that means all of the types of fishing nets. Peter not only left what he was doing, but he left his whole occupation. He left their nets immediately. James and John, the same thing. But even more was involved. They left their father, and Mark says the hired servants also, and they immediately followed him. Now, I think we ought to notice that one of the reasons that Jesus got such an immediate response was that his invitation came with the power and authority of a king. That didn't make it any less of an invitation. It was not that he was demanding they follow. You see, Christ calls all of us to salvation in a sense. But only a few follow and become saved. And then out of all who are saved, Christ calls us to follow him, be his disciples, to become fishers of men. But out of all the Christians, there are very few who follow. So you see, it's an invitation indeed, but it's an invitation that can be turned down. The same invitation, come, follow me, is found in Matthew 22, where the servant is sent out to the wedding, and when he invites everybody to the wedding, what happens? They turn him down, and he has to go out and get other people. So it's an invitation that can be refused. What we should notice is that the response of, the, of these four men was not to refuse the invitation, but to immediately follow him. And that is the fitting kind of response we should have to an invitation of the king. I don't think that the disciples followed Jesus because they wanted to do evangelism. I don't think that they followed him because they wanted to uh, preach the gospel and be ridiculed and be stoned, and be, eventually lose their lives for it. I don't think that was the point at all. When Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, he's not saying, uh, this is something you want to do, because most people don't like to do evangelism. I told somebody not long ago that I was going to be an evangelist, and it's not really that I like to do evangelism, it's just that I don't like to see people go to hell. And he got a kick out of that. But it, in a sense, that's true. What Jesus is saying is, I don't care if you want to do it, but what I'm saying is, follow me. And the king is laying before them an invitation. And the only fitting response to an invitation from a king is to immediately follow. Now, I'm not a big fan of Emily Post. Probably don't like her more than I like her. But she said something about how to respond to an invitation from the president of the United States. She said that when you receive an invitation from the White House, you should consider that a direct command and drop everything. Consider it a direct command and drop everything. If that's the kind of response we should have for a president, what kind of response should we have for the king? The Lord Jesus Christ. The men dropped everything and they followed him. 
Nothing less was expected from the Savior. But look what it says. It says that they left everything. Peter left his nets, all of his nets. In fact, I think what it was saying is that he left his whole fishing profession. And then James and John paid a higher price, it seems. For they were mending their, boat, their nets in the boat, and when he called them, they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Matthew, at least, emphasizes that the price for James and John was a little higher. They left, for one thing, their occupation, what they had grown up doing, the thing they knew to do best, the thing they had trained in, the thing they had looked forward to, their business, their income, their upkeep, what put bread on their tables. They walked away from it. They also left their family the ones they love, the ones whose voice they love to hear, the ones that they love to be near and who love to be near them, their own father who had taught them fishing, they walked away from him. And they left the security of a home and an occupation that they knew well. They had a right to work, to earn an income, to know where their next paycheck was coming from. But they walked away from it. They walked away from retirement and Social Security. They walked away from everything to follow somebody who wasn't all that popular at that time, to go to another part of the country with an unfamiliar setting, to see people that they didn't want to see and didn't know, people who threatened them. Their price was high. They left everything. I think this shows us that if we're to be fishers of men by following Jesus Christ, that it won't always be convenient. It won't always be comfortable. I find that today the kind of evangelism that many churches and many people are accepting is what I would call convenient evangelism. I mean, we make it easy on ourselves. We don't risk losing our face or losing our pride. We don't want to be away from our family and give up a night a week or two. We don't want to give that much money. We'd rather build our buildings and have our picnics and have our retreats. We're so busy retreating that we fail to advance. And the philosophy today seems to be, well, let's build a bigger aquarium. And that's how we'll fish. We'll invite everybody to our aquarium. Now, I used to have an aquarium, and I never once had a fish come and ask to be let in. There was a farmer who was sitting in his backyard and he had his feet propped up on an old stump, pipe in his mouth. And he was sitting there dangling a line in this big steel tub of water. And a neighbor came by and said, Fred, what are you doing? There's no fish in that tub. You're just wasting your time. And the old farmer looked at him and he said, Well, I know there's no fish in there, but it's powerful convenience. And that's kind of the attitude that some of us have. That we'll give, but not till it hurts. A little time when it's convenient. But the disciples left everything. Everything. 
winning men for Jesus Christ sometimes is an inconvenience. What our passage shows us today is that Jesus Christ calls men to follow him. And then he says, when you follow me, I will make you to become fishers of men. I will make you into soul winners. And he expects a positive response from those he calls. But I think Jesus just wasn't calling those four men that particular day by the Sea of Galilee. I think his voice rings out from the scriptures before us today, down the corridors of 2,000 years of history, to call me and to call you to become fishers of men. And I think that Jesus Christ is calling you this morning to follow him and to become a soul winner. To win men into the kingdom of heaven for the master's sake. That means you'll have to commit yourself to following him. Not commit yourself to a church program. Not commit yourself to a, going to a seminar or reading another book on evangelism. But commit yourself in discipleship to following him. When we follow, we become a carbon copy of the master. And Jesus' heart was always breaking for the multitudes around him. He looked on them with compassion. God's own nature is that he's constantly reaching out to men and inviting them to himself. And we can't follow Jesus Christ without making that our own burden, without having the same heart that he has. His heart becomes our heart. I surprise myself sometimes to find that I really don't care I'm not witnessing, and I could just have unsafe people and opportunities come before me all the time. And I just let them slip by because my heart has grown cold. And you know what I'm talking about. But when we follow the Master, His heart becomes ours. When we spend time with Him, when we talk with Him and communicate with Him, when we take time alone with the Master, His heart becomes ours. We commit ourselves to following Him. And he makes us into a soul winner. We let him do the work. And slowly but surely, he gives us boldness that's born out of a compassion to see people saved. He gives us a burden for those who are lost. He begins to do a great work in us to make us into winners of men. The interesting thing here is that Jesus called the disciples right where they were as fishermen to be fishers of men. And so Christ calls us today right where we are to do, keep on doing what we're doing, but to make the winning of souls our supreme business. And so he, he touches an electrician and says, follow me. And you'll not only turn the lights on in the house, but you'll turn the lights on in somebody's life by telling them about the light of the world. And he looks at a dentist and he says, you'll not only stop tooth decay, but I'll show you how to cure spiritual decay and fill that cavity in that person's soul. And he looks at a banker and says, I'm not going to just have you from now on balance the books and show people how to get in and out of debt, but I'm going to show you how to tell people that their debt is already paid and the debt is canceled. He looks at a teacher and says, no longer are you just going to teach your students 
how to read and to write and to figure. But from now on, you're going to teach them the way of salvation. Teach them who the true teacher is. Looks at a student and says, no longer are you just going to go to school and watch your fellow students learn. But from now on, they're going to be learning who is the one who is called the wisdom of God. They're going to learn that all knowledge begins with the fear of the Lord. And he touches a homemaker. says, follow me. And you'll not just be making and building your family home, but you're going to be showing other homemakers how to have a heavenly home. Christ meets us where we are and calls us where we are so that we will make soul winning our supreme business. He'll use what we have. If we give and have the gift of giving, he'll use it. The gift of teaching, he'll use it. The gift of serving, he'll use it. But the great thing is he takes us just as we are and uses us right where we are. Some will be fishing in their backyard with poles and will catch them one by one. Some might be fishing in the deep sea and drawing them in by the net full. Some will be witnessing to people one-on-one -on -one and winning people to Jesus Christ that way. I have a friend like that. He just goes and he brings them in one at a time, but he's probably brought more people to Christ than anybody I know. Some will lead evangelistic Bible studies and maybe bring them in two or three at a time. Some of you, for some of you, following Christ will mean that you'll be preaching the gospel, sharing your testimony, and seeing scores, scores of people coming to Jesus Christ. Maybe in your backyard. It may be somewhere else. You know, I've always wanted to fish in these lakes that you hear about in Canada. They say there's lakes up there that no man has ever fished. And, you know, you throw in your lure and you just pull them in one after another. I've always wanted to do that. Fish where no man has ever fished. But some of you will do that. God will call some of you young people overseas and to give your life and lands and, and lakes and ponds where there are people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and you'll spread your nets out and you'll be bringing people to Christ by the scores. But it all starts with following Him. And I warn you that there's a price there's a sacrifice involved. It doesn't come easy. It will cost you time, time away from the ones you love. It may even separate you geographically from them. It'll cost you money. You'll have to buy money to run here and there. You'll have to buy more money. You'll spend more money on lunches and dinners for people, on entertainment. You'll be buying tracts and books to give away and Bibles. It'll cost you some pride because not everybody wants to be talked to about religion. But one thing is sure, that you'll never, ever have to apologize to anyone for winning souls to Jesus Christ. You will never have to stand before God and say, God, I'm sorry I brought all these people into heaven. Somebody comes up to you and, and you say, hey, friend, are you going to heaven? They say, it's none of your business. You can look them in the eye and say, yes, friend, it is my business. I've made it my business. Jesus Christ has bid me to follow him and to become a fisher of men. It is my business. I just happen to be an electrician. I just happen to be a secretary. Part-time job. 
There's only one thing that we can take with us to heaven, and that's a friend. We leave it all behind. We can worship in heaven. We can study the Bible in heaven. We'll have fellowship in heaven. We'll even eat in heaven, go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, or on earth, wherever your interpretation puts it. A lot of things we'll be doing in heaven, but we will not be able to snatch our friends out of the fire. We will not be able to keep our neighbors from going to hell. We will not be able to take uh, to witness to our friends when we're in heaven. The only thing you take to heaven is a friend. So Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. I'll make you into a soul winner, into a fisher of men. And he expects us to respond. So this morning, Christ is calling you to follow him. Become fishers of men. What will be your response? Let's close in prayer. And perhaps as we pray, you would just want to tell God that I hear your call and I will follow. And I would encourage you to make that your prayer. Now, Father, you have spoken to us today. You have given us your word of truth. Your voice is as clear as that morning along the Sea of Galilee. You are calling us to follow you and to become fishers of men. I pray, dear God, that nothing stand in any of our ways. That we would follow you, leave everything behind, without apology, making it our main business, our supreme task. And Lord, we just trust you to make us into fishers of men for the Master's sake, for the glory of God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.